Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney, here with our friend, freelance writer, John Balding. Hey, y'all. And today we welcome back, after a long absence and many wanderings, writer, Shut Up and Sit Down co-founder, Paul Dean. Hello. So, today, we are returning to the old battle against the old ones with XCOM creator Julian Gollop's new tactical combat game, Phoenix Point, by Snapshot Games. This has been a long-anticipated return for a legendary game designer, but also one with a lot of angst attached to it. In the time since he last made a game like this, uh, Firaxis essentially reinvented this genre and applied a much higher degree of polish than we'd ever seen before. Uh, likewise, Gollop's own returns to tactics games over the years were of significantly smaller scope and ambition, I would say, uh, particularly with something like the bite-sized, more competitive, uh, tabletop-scale Chaos Reborn. Uh, but now Phoenix Point is finally back with us, uh, and it's available on the Epic Store. And Paul, I guess I'd start off with you. What is this? What is this game about? What is its premise? And is it too reductive to say it's Julian Gollop playing the hits and returning to XCOM? I don't think that's reductive at all. I think that's a very good way to begin the discussion of what this game is because it is hugely familiar. Um, it's not too familiar, which is exciting. You know, it has its own separate plot, and I certainly don't want to uh, spoil too much of sort of what occurs in the game because there were certain moments through play where I discovered something, you know, a, an element of plot appeared or a new enemy appeared, and I immediately thought, okay, this is very cool. I like this. I like this moment of storytelling. But I suppose so, yeah. You are saving the world. There is a, basically an extraterrestrial threat or a threat that was frozen for a very long time uh, at one of the poles that was originally extraterrestrial. And, you know, we are in danger the same way that we've always been in these games, which is we've got to grab people's technology, turn it against them. We're a small, scrappy underdog, um, and we're managing our bottom lines as much as we're managing, you know, our squads of, I want to say semi-elite soldiers, because they're, they're never as good as, like, Navy SEALs. They're always, like, four guys who panic the moment somebody dies. John, I, uh, one of the things that caught my eye in the Throws Ahead Discord chat was I think you described it at one point as Eurojank XCOM and a Roach Motel. Uh, I, I did. <laughs> I used both of those phrases. So should people brace themselves heading into this? Like Eurocom X, X, Eurojank XCOM is a delightfully ambiguous phrase. Uh, what should we take away from it? I, I, you know, I encourage you to take away from the phrase Eurojank XCOM, whatever your heart most thinks would be good about that phrase, because that, that was meant with the most possible love. As in, I love weird games that are overambitious. I think it's good for games to be overambitious and to fall short of their huge goals in so many ways. Um, Roach Motel, though, is just that this thing is full of bugs. It is overflowing with bugs now, in, in incredible ways yeah i was going to ask so i, I i've been going through a little bit of this with um a, another game that's been pre-released for for a bit here but something that's happening with a lot of these end of year releases is the build that is available to press in advance sometimes evolves considerably between uh, when that build becomes available and when it finally launches. Have you seen, because I, I noticed some updates hit it uh, during the time it was installed on my PC. Have you seen meaningful improvement? Like, is this a game where you, that caution applies maybe less strongly than, strongly than it initially did when you were, when you were sort of throwing the Roach Motel term around? Uh, or is this still a bit of a buyer beware situation? So, I have to preface my real answer with the answer of you should always beware because it's hard to know when bugs like this, yeah. bugs like these and problems like this game has are built into the core programming structure of the game. It's You just have to look at a game like Total War Warhammer where it took them, what is it, is it two years now on release to get the load times down to reasonable? Yeah. 
uh, and the turn times between uh, faction turns in the campaign mode. But that said, yes, they have pretty aggressively fixed bugs, and they fixed several of my worst, uh, most game-breaking bugs during the, the reviewer period. I had it for a little over a week before its release date, and there were basic things that weren't working. There were, like, soldier skills you could buy that did nothing, right? Um, or only worked if you hadn't moved yet that turn. Just little weird things. And a lot of that stuff was fixed uh, within 24 hours or so of me sending them a bug report. So hopefully now crowdsourcing with lots and lots of people sending them bug reports, some of the more annoying or more egregious stuff uh, and the oversight errors are going to get fixed. The stuff that's like bugs or problems with the procedural generation of levels and things like that, those might take longer to fix. Uh, Paul, I'm, I'm curious, did you encounter some of this as well? I, it sounds like I had a relatively smooth time. I did encounter a lot of what I would call very low level bugs, um, which would be display related things where the game would simply like tell me that it was paused when it wasn't. Um, and I had things like loading certain saved games. I think any, any time I saved a game, that was within a tactical situation within, you know, my squad going out into a skirmish. There's something like a 25% chance that saved game would just, I'd crash the desktop and then I'd try and load it again and it would be fine. So I had a few of these, but I wasn't aware of any sort of more functional bugs like this or things that I felt were seriously breaking the game or breaking my ability to make progress in the game. But definitely very cosmetic things came up occasionally. Um, and probably the thing that bugs me the most was there's a third person camera and it will do certain things at certain points in the game where, you know, you, your shulk, your soldier shoots at an alien. Uh, and it'll take a perspective that, uh, on a good day shows you firing at your opponent. And at the bad day just, you know, puts you behind a wall where you can't see anything that's happening. That happened a lot. And I think that's a classic third person camera problem. And I was a bit surprised that that sort of hadn't been dealt with in testing. And it's not, again, the most vital thing. You know, I could tell afterwards if I had or hadn't hit my target, but it was very obviously, you know, a serious cosmetic issue. And I feel like I, I mainly had those. So Yeah, what I've, I've heard of other people having some cosmetic problems. Uh, pop up like texture loading bugs and things like that i oh, didn't yeah. have that much cosmetic stuff i did have a lot of low level things like a button doesn't work the first time you click on it and then you click yeah. on it again and it works or um a soldier won't do anything so you click over to another soldier and you click back and then the soldier will do whatever you want yeah um <clears throat> for my brief time with the game i would say that the other thing that jumped out at me is there's a level of like fit and finish i think we're used to from like the xcom games that this game just doesn't possess some of this some of what you described uh, alludes to it but in general it's just all little quality of life things uh the way a camera scrolls or pans or rotates or zooms um all of it's a little bit chunkier than you're used to um it it, it seems less less gliding uh, then say the Firaxis uh, approach tends to tends to deliver up, uh, but it, it definitely does seem like a slightly more rugged and crude uh, version version of XCOM. And I suppose that maybe is where, to me, like when I hear Eurojank XCOM, uh, from the first, this game does sort of give me a comfortable. Uh, you know what if what if Stalker were an XCOM game type vibe, oh, yeah. or perhaps um, <laughs> if anyone remembers Gorky Seventeen, which I think you can still get on on GOG dot com. But Gorky Seventeen was this very odd uh, puzzle tactics game that was set in a in a like in a similar horror setting, but it also had uh, just kind of this ugly, crude. Uh, you know, messy aesthetic that that worked really well, uh, but also kind of reflected some of the issues you'd you'd encounter with that game. But I think 
we talked about you know the, this game perhaps also being ambitious and maybe one reason that it, it is sometimes struggling to carry off everything perfectly is that this does not seem to be a game that is just trying to imitate new school XCOM uh, that, that Fraxis has given us. This is a game that is maybe stretching a bit further. Is it stretching in that direction on the tactical layer, on the strategic layer? Uh, I know it is following sort of that classic XCOM split, right? Where you have the, the geoscape, uh, the strategic layer, and then you have the, the battles themselves. But, you know, if XCOM, if, if the original XCOM uh, that Gollop made in 94... Uh, is sort of one point of reference, and then Jake Solomon's XCOM is another. Where is this? Where does this one fit? What is it trying to do? Uh, how do, how does it sort of navigate between those uh, lighthouses? That is, I think it's very interesting to think about where the needle falls between those two, and I want to say it's sort of falling somewhere between the two. There's uh, definitely I got definitely a very strong old. First two XCOM games, you know, uh, including Terror from the Deep, I got a strong sort of thematic vibe uh, in terms of how the story is fed to you sort of morsel by morsel as you search and you discover things. Uh, the procedural generation of the levels that you can also blow apart. You don't have to sort of direct fire an opponent. You can just randomly fire off into the distance with your heavy artillery if you want. And, you know, if you think something is inside a building and you have a bunch of grenades... Just toss them in. Just shoot at the building until it collapses. That sort of thing is how I played the original XCOM. Um, but then you have these soldier skills and these soldier attributes um, and the sort of squad tactical stuff that felt a lot more new XCOM. So I feel that there's a sort of a, a melding of the two. And then there is the there are these factions that you meet, three additional other factions who all have their own take on the apocalypse and the way they interact and the way they deal with each other felt a lot like, uh, I don't know, almost certainly you both must have at least touched on the 1997 XCOM game that has now temporarily, the, the subtitle has apocalypse. left me, but it's Apocalypse, where you yeah. have this sort of city with these different factions who all have different objectives. It felt like there was a flavor of that in there with these factions, you know, sending their own ships around, arguing with each other, trying to get you on their side or eventually falling out with you based on your philosophy. So I don't know. I think we get a mix of a lot of things here. I agree. Yeah. It feels like if in many ways, it feels like since, since, Gollop, since he was the main designer behind the first XCOM and then the third and then Apocalypse and then Terror from the Deep was the sort of weird in-between thing that they made out of demand to quickly make a follow-up to the first one. I think this is like him taking all the innovation that other people have done with the series in the intervening time, especially the Firaxis games, and then putting his personal greatest hits and favorite mechanics and ways of playing these types of games into uh, that mix of the sort of best of, and then coming up with his own interesting spins on it all. Right. Because uh -huh. those games, those original games really care about things like the path of flight of a single bullet and whether it hits a windowsill or a wall or whatever. Right. And Phoenix points dynamic aiming also really cares about that stuff. It's just using the physics engines of 2019 rather than the chance-based odds of 1999. Yeah, I was quite delighted the uh, very first time I had two enemies lined up and I moved to a flanking position. They sort of fell into a neat row and the one between me and the second target had very few hit points. So I, it seemed like a waste of ammo, right? I was going to basically knock off five hit points uh, and do like 90 damage. Uh, but the five hit points was going to kill it. Um, and, you know, sort of to my delight, the first target dropped dead with the first rounds. And then the rest of the shots seemed to continue onward into the second target and kill that one, too. Um, so this, this does sort of seem like a game that brings back some of those old... 
I don't know when I when I when I see things like that, I start thinking about like uh, advanced squad leader fire lanes, almost mm-hmm. where it's this this notion that no shots go places. It's not just an RPG where it's like roll to hit this one target. Like as you said, John, everything has to go somewhere. Um, you know, this, <laughs> yes. is, this is this is a closed combat environment. There is no oh, you missed your target, therefore everything goes into the ether. That's that's not the game. This is. I think. I actually really appreciate that, and I didn't realize how much I'd missed that. And I think that's partly because I grew up as well with things like uh, Jagged Alliance and a lot of these things where you you have a whole environment, and if you don't necessarily hit your target, maybe you hit cover, maybe you knock out a window. Maybe you hit a uh, friend. Maybe you hit a friend. Maybe you hit something within the environment that explodes, or maybe that actually was your intention anyway, was to shoot a barrel of some kind of a flammable substance. And this is a thing that has given me a a small amount of joy in Phoenix Point is somebody is in hard cover. I can't get to them, but I can physically blow them out of cover by hitting a barrel instead that is, you know, about four yards away from them. Uh, And that it makes everything feel, you know, a little more dynamic and a little more alive. And there are some other things about playing the game that I found a little maybe felt a little artificial and shonky, but those sort of things made the environment feel alive again, and I appreciated that. Uh, let me pause here before we get too much farther into this game. So Phoenix Point also feels a bit like uh, modern eldritch XCOM. Um, the opening of the game sort of lays out the scenario that Climate change happened, but climate change was even weirder and more sinister than we thought. Uh, <laughs> and something something awakened in the permafrost and sort of brought forth these the, these horrors. And an organization called uh, – is it the Phoenix Point or is it the Phoenix Initiative? Uh, I think Phoenix Point is your base, right? The Phoenix Project? Yes. Yeah. Uh, there was a. There was basically after World War II, uh, the governments of the world knew this was in the wind, and formed basically the the Phoenix Project, the, this game's version of XCOM, to deal with the threat. Uh, and so this was very much the the classic, uh, the army formed to fight a war that everyone hoped would never come. Unfortunately, the army was formed maybe too early and was maybe kept too much on the down low. And by the time that the crisis struck, the organization had fallen into disrepair. Uh, The governments that once supported it had turned against it. And all of this predates us when we were just sort of thrust into the middle of the action uh, as sort of the last people who are as people who have sort of stumbled into this organization and found its last its last bastion uh responding to the sort of last orders of your narrator and guide uh and possibly a GK Chesterton character uh Symes <laughs> and from there we we sort of go back on the you know it's it, it seems like it's not like XCOM where you were dealing with the first tendrils of an alien invasion. Here, the idea seems a little bit more, well, perhaps Jagged Alliance-ish, right? The the bad guys have already won. They control things. Um, there are these these other factions as well. Humanity has, fit into, has sort of split into three different factions. That at first glance, their archetypes didn't seem too interesting to me. I'm curious if you felt anything interesting was done with them but it sort of seemed to fit into the uh fascist authoritarian soldier model the um you know religious uh you know cultist model and then the harmonious ascendance victory uh type type model that that seems to be the three the three people you meet in the post apocalypse um and you have to juggle those factions as well as your own war against the um, the Kyle uh, said the Pandar- Pandarians. Uh, I think that's World of Warcraft. It's a very different game. Yeah, uh, the Pandorans. <laughs> I think yeah. There's there is this uh, I guess eternal truth that the whatever happens to us in the apocalypse, it will remain relatable. 
we will and maybe this is very true when the apocalypse comes we will hold the same values and we'll behave in the same ways and we'll still care about guns and cars or trees or god or some flavor and variety of these and yeah the factions i think are familiar factions that you will have seen in lots of sci-fi or um that kind of literature you know that kind of very exploratory sort of thing um and I suppose also, I don't know, maybe this is a personal preference. Some are also more relatable than others. And I can at least relate to a bunch of folks who live in a fortress with guns more than I can relate to sort of transcendental semi-mutant cults. I don't know. Um, I can't say that I was particularly switched on by these folks or by having philosophical discussions with them, but I was actually very intrigued to discover the, the way the plot is fed to you sort of, you know, drop by drop to discover, first of all, hey, uh, your organization has always existed. For some reason, it didn't work. We don't know why. Oh, hey, it turns out that there's another base out there, just like the base that you started with. Oh, there might be some more. And then everybody else is sort of investigating their own personal history. Or they have their own personal, um, you know, trajectories as well to follow. And I did find a lot of that interesting. I did like uncovering a mystery or uncovering a plot sort of section by section according to what I cared about, I suppose. You know, I, I have dug into the military folks' backstory a lot more than I've dug into the religious folks' backstory. And it might be that on another playthrough I'll do that differently. And perhaps, I don't know, we'll see. Maybe that could give me a, a very different narrative or a very different picture of uh, what's going on in this post-apocalyptic world. Yeah, I think that the game factions are are slightly more interesting than they look on the surface, um, except for maybe the military folks, New, New Jericho. They're pretty much exactly what it says on the tin. They're, they, they do religion and blowing things up uh, and capitalism, and it's cool. Um, but the, the writing in the game doesn't explicitly tell you stuff. It wants you to, to read into things, but it doesn't do a great job of spooling out that kind of world building and narrative effectively. Right. Like it was only, I allied with, uh, the Sinedrian, the sort of anarcho syndicalists, right. The utopian futurists. And it was only like halfway through that I realized Part of the thing that was interesting about them as a faction was that half of the uh, inhabitants of the faction are artificial intelligences stored in computer mainframes who are doing all the logistics work for their faction. Um, and that's just – they just don't tell you that at the beginning, right? It's not clear that the reason that they don't get along with the billionaire uh, – capitalist guy is because he thinks that artificial intelligences are evil right you don't get some of that interesting stuff um and i especially i really do want to replay the game and go along with the disciples of anu the uh the there's sort of like a transhumanist cult that worships the virus that's come to terraform earth um i have a feeling their storyline is the most radically different from anything else that's going on now, when it comes to how these uh, these this all plays out, I know that the XCOM model or the XCOM model that we that XCOM that XCOM two followed was to give us plot beats, basically, right? Like this was the War of the Chosen model of we're going to introduce three characters, you're going to have your own separate uh, event chain to to fight them. But by and large, like XCOM 2 added a bunch of stuff, but what it didn't necessarily end up adding was a great deal of variety to that game, right? Like the same plot beats happen, the same missions sort of appear at various points. And that's not a huge deal breaker for me uh, because it's a good game. It's it's a good trip. Uh, but I am curious to what degree did it feel like we go back and you listen to our original XCOM 2 show. And I think things we discussed, like even after War of the Chosen came out, the game got much, much better. But I think XCOM still has always struggled with this sense of letting your playthrough, your experience, 
be yours, right? That XCOM is a game where if you have a couple bad missions, you're off the power curve and the game just throws you in a spiral because no, by this point in the game, you should be further along. You should have checked these boxes. Uh, you know, the other end of the spectrum was perhaps the original, uh, you know, XCOM Enemy Within uh, from from 94, or Paul, you've already mentioned it, uh, you know, sort of my maybe greatest of all time, Dragon Alliance 2, where, you know, there, there may have been some things that were preset, but by and large, you had a vast amount of discretion about how you went about your business and how that could all play out. How much, again, like sort of using those those frames of reference, what's Phoenix Point doing? It's a really interesting question. Um, I don't, it doesn't have the pacing that I feel that XCOM has and the sense of urgency of um, a, a feeling that I had. And when, sorry, when I say XCOM here, I mean Firaxis's uh, XCOM. A feeling that I had from Firaxis's take on things was you were always very precariously balanced and you could definitely have a couple of failure missions or you could have things go wrong. But if you hadn't planned some of your uh, base building particularly well or if you hadn't been careful with your logistics, then a couple of failures in a row, as you say, you're kind of done and you don't know that you're done yet. It will be a little further along in the game, maybe until you realize that you've lost momentum. But you you have this kind of very precarious balance of once you start to lose that, it's hard to get it back. I feel that Phoenix Point is a lot closer to the older kind of uh, first two in the series, again, like Terror from the Deep or UFO Enemy Unknown, where it's, it's very much like all of these systems are happening, all of these things are continuing to happen around the world and you are trying to interfere with them, you are trying to needle your way in and you know, affect the alien sort of economy or ecosystem or whatever you would want to call it. But you are, whether you succeed or fail in a certain individual thing doesn't necessarily affect your momentum in the greater picture. I feel that things move in a in a way that's much sort of slower and much more, uh, I don't know, much much safer almost like you could easily have a couple of missions go wrong and lose a bunch of soldiers and probably recruit a few again and then keep going or you could lose a base or you could have something sort of fall out of whack and adjust to it and i don't think that necessarily makes for an easier game but i think it makes for a game where at individual times individual missions the stakes aren't as high and there's a lot more room to fail or to experiment or to try things different ways. And I like that. And I think that's interesting. But I think it does also mean that you spend a lot of time doing a lot of missions that feel very similar, that don't necessarily have particularly strong outcomes. And this, I mean, maybe we'll lead into this in a moment, but this is one of my criticisms of the game is I felt I was doing the same thing a lot and I didn't know necessarily what the, you know, if there was going to be a significant outcome of defending another ally's base from another attack. It just felt, you know, kind of routine, the, the firefighting that we do in the apocalypse. I certainly agree with you on that. I think the variety isn't perfectly there because the game wants your individual teams of soldiers you're using to be more interesting and unique than they are. But the nature of these games and especially the sort of more simplified modern version is that you try to find a single strategy you like and build everything into it. Right. Yeah. So you build 10, you'll never have 10 teams in this game Four identical teams of soldiers and they run around the world, world fighting fires and maybe they have tiny differences, but ultimately they're the same. Yeah. Uh, whereas in in like Xenonauts, the modern remake of of XCOM, in many ways of original XCOM UFO, uh, because of the extreme resource pressures that that game puts you under at all times in its in its uh, its strategic campaign layer, your teams become radically different over time simply because you can't necessarily afford to outfit them all with the best stuff, or there's always a C team with last generation's gear and equipment. 
That's, I think that's a very good point and a really interesting thing to call back to because with Xenonauts, which I, I played a blimey like a few years ago now, I felt, I felt a similar level of uh, repetition in a lot of the missions, but I think that's also because the levels that were generated seemed a lot more similar. But there's a lot more scarcity to the resources and it, it captures that guerrilla war feel a lot more, which is, I think, what is underlies Underlying most of the games in these series is this guerrilla kind of concept. You never have that many people. You never have that much stuff. But in Phoenix Point, you know, you have these three different resources. You have tech, you have uh, materials, and you have food. And whichever one I was low of, I, I could always fly off to somebody's base and trade and get some more. Or I'd complete a mission and I'd get a bunch of that stuff back. And it didn't feel like a resource that I struggled to find so much as a resource that just slowed down my progress. Like I couldn't re recruit another soldier for a while because I needed more resources than I currently had. So it's a couple of days of game time and then I can do it. It wasn't a decision of do I or do not. It was much more an issue of just when will that happen? Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, the campaign layer resources just lacked that scarcity and that forced uh i don't want to i don't want to call it like well okay scarcity is a great word for it but in phoenix point it does always feel like you can get more of something if you need it um yeah. in the very beginning stages of the game you're desperate for more soldiers and you're desperate for some more materials but once you really get rolling and you get soldiers and you get some material income, you almost never after that point, unless you really overextend yourself, feel like you need things you don't have. Um, and that sort of ruins the the guerrilla fight against the odds feeling of it from that point on. It always feels like instead now you are juggling fires you're trying to make sure that nothing completely burns down while you're dealing with yes. the raging inferno across the street and that that gameplay in this is great i really like that that part of the strategic layer i never felt like i had enough teams of soldiers at any given time or enough uh guns of a certain kind or anything like that right i always was like oh i need to get more of this oh i need more of that or oh i can't send a team to go explore the interior of africa because i need this team in southeast asia because they just keep attacking there and my other teams are in europe and north america right i really liked those elements of this game sounds like there's almost a pandemic uh pacing to this yeah yeah that's certainly true what if you could simply shoot the virus? Um, that, I mean, that's, in, I suppose that's Phoenix almost point, the plot. <laughs> you can. Yes. Were you satisfied? It doesn't sound like you were fully satisfied, though, with um, with that kind of... You're, you're constantly trying to put out the fires or keep this pot from boiling over while, you, while you're tending to this one uh, up front. It sounds like even with that, though, you still wished it had more of... If the theme is very scrappy, right? If the theme is we are the last of a defunct organization uh, fighting the war for the future of Earth, if that is the theme, it still feels like you don't feel it carried through into the mechanics very successfully outside the initial opening moves. It's I I'm not sure how I feel about that because, yeah, it doesn't feel maybe as improvisational as it could. There are certainly some very good, very cool moments. Like I, it took me a while to realize like, oh, I can't just randomly train soldiers. I need to recruit soldiers in a certain way. And that limits my ability to do that. And I can't just build a new base. I need to uncover a base. Uh, and that, you know, and that's done by exploration and that's done very organically. And that's interesting. And that almost feels like a, you know, a 4X for Axis or Microprose type thing from the old days of you're constantly pushing back the map and discovering new things. And, you know, you have a dynamic there where you are forced to explore and that's cool and that's interesting. And that felt like a very different take on things. But I, I don't know if it's that the pacing isn't quite correct or that the resource management isn't quite correct, but there is something there that for me, uh, while this was entertaining, it wasn't as compelling as it could be 
even though I maybe don't want it to be as harsh as Firaxis's XCOM thing of, you know, you run out of resources because, as I say, you made a poor decision two or three months ago that you're now seeing the consequences of. Yeah, I think I, I think I definitely agree with that. Um, I think the the pacing of the Firaxis campaigns has always been. Uh, not the pacing, the difficulty curve of the Fraxis campaigns has always been off for that reason, which is you can play for six hours and then realize you lost six hours ago, which is never good ever. Um, but in Phoenix Point, it sits somewhere between that and the original XCOM, which was in, in original XCOM, you could never lose, right? You just would have to build the whole program again from the ground up effectively. Um, you never truly failed and Phoenix point feels like you, you could fail, but you're more likely to just have some severe setbacks. Yeah. Um, and I never experienced any of those in play. I'd never had that problem. And I have yet to hear from someone who really did have like a, a nasty base assault come their way or anything like that. Yeah. I think that the, the biggest problems I had that kind of way were were all tactical. They would be getting into a fight somewhere where I was simply outnumbered, where the right. enemies were too numerous. You know, I'd made a poor choice. I'd sent five people into an alien base or a situation that I thought I could win, and I'm outnumbered three to one. Or maybe I'm even outnumbered two to one, but it's got to the point where I cannot inflict enough damage. You know, I would get into these sort of battles of attrition, but small squad tactic battles of attrition where I'm trying to shoot people who have 400 hit points and the bar's just very, very slowly decreasing. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. Let's, let's talk about the strategic layer uh, just a little bit. What's the, what, what's the overall framing that we're talking about when, when people think about what you're doing as manager of this Phoenix program? Um, you know, again, like the Firaxis XCOM model is... Uh, the geoscape is always there, but really geography doesn't matter, right? Like it's really just missions come up. You have a menu of missions you can you can tackle. Your team can only be in one place at one time, uh, and that's the mission you're doing that month. Uh, you know, it it sort of fits that very rigid structure. Uh, in terms of Phoenix Point strategic layer. Where is it like what like what are you doing when you're in director mode? You are micromanaging the actions of your teams hour by hour. Um you are maneuvering them almost like a plausible real-time strategy across the globe. And then sometimes that plausible RTS will hit a moment where you need to drop into a tactical layer and do some fights or you click through a little narrative event uh, that pops up and it's very much paul said earlier it's like a 4x and i think that was a really astute comment because it stays that way the whole game it really feels that way you are expanding outward and discovering new parts of the earth the sort of post-apocalyptic earth from your original phoenix point base and then you start trying to find other phoenix project bases like you know there's one somewhere in europe right so okay so you go looking for it or you know there's one in west africa so you go looking for it and when you discover those you they immediately reactivate allowing you to build more research labs and manufactories and things like that to get more materials to speed up the pace of your growth um and all this while you're making relationships with one of these three factions or more than one of the three factions which is totally an option or as i understand it also there's a no none of the factions at all path uh two that you can pursue um and after a certain point you get a good enough relationship with each of the factions that all of their havens, their little cities around the globe will unlock, which really allows you to travel great distances if you, if you want to, um, which, but that will leave havens you previously knew about very vulnerable as you move your teams further away from your original bases. And at that point, it transitions to, to me at least, almost like a 
Ubisoft open world version of a 4X, where you know there's little icons all over the whole map. You just need to figure out what order to explore and visit them all in, in order to best optimize your exploration of the world and your sort of progress towards getting all the bases unlocked and all the research and figuring out who you want to ally with. When it comes time now to send your troops out to fight, like, what does... Like what? What's the standard mission archetype in Phoenix Point, right? Because uh, again, like the current XCOM model is very rigid. There are certain, you know, you're in a rescue mission. You're doing a raid. You have to capture this. You have to reach this magic tile and push this button, and that's what you're doing for this mission. Um, when it comes to Phoenix Point, like. Does it follow a similar like oh I like I have to do a you know this type of mission uh, at this location or is there a little bit more of that? What would I associate with classic uh, '90s XCOM right, which is very much the look the you know the transport lands and your troops step off the ramp into the unknown uh, and like that's kind of one of the enduring memories of that game right is that every mission kind of felt like i don't know a little bit like the marines in uh alien two in, in aliens uh you <laughs> yeah. know it, it always had that feeling of it's here we go standard operating procedure for something that may not be like it's ever been before i'm curious where phoenix point ends up with this Oh, I feel like that's a really good analogy because I feel like it is closer to what you described, to that older feel of uh, you've all just dropped in and it's your team of people and maybe also, you know, a tiny little automatic rocket launching vehicle that you have that is, again, rem reminiscent of the original tiny original rocket launching vehicle that you had in the first, very first Enemy Unknown UFO from, you know, 1994. Um it does have that kind of aliens feel of you're in a place, the enemies are all hidden somewhere, uh, and they're potentially deadly and dangerous in new ways that you haven't yet realized. And sooner or later, they're all going to burst out and get you. And initially, this is, I think it's really exciting and really interesting because you don't know what the new creatures are that are going to appear. And this one has a giant sort of chit in a shell that it hides behind. And then this one can suddenly turn invisible when it takes damage. Um, but the flip side of that is I think it does actually become standard operating procedure quite quickly because you get dropped into a place and you have to do a similar thing of finding all of these folks and killing them. And that's, that's how I've succeeded in every single tactical encounter is, you know, uncovering all of the aliens that are there and then shooting them until they are dead. And there's not been a huge amount of variety and there's a little bit of, variety of goals of sort of if you're saving another faction from an attack you want to keep as many of their ai controlled people alive as possible or if you're doing a resource gathering mission you want to stop all these crates from being destroyed that the aliens run around and try and blow up before you kill all the aliens and you know that'll be proportional to the amount of supplies you get back but i felt like i was mostly doing the same thing every time which was running from cover to cover finding these people and shooting them or very often just sort of taking cover and waiting for them to come to me because that proved to be a really reliable tactic. Just hide behind something and someone will show themselves sooner or later. Uh, and the better your sniper is, the further away you can shoot them. Yeah, that's not an unreasonable description of, of the way the game feels over time. I I really loved the early hours and the first few missions of each sort of tier and stage of Phoenix Point where I was discovering new things. And sometimes I would send a team in and they would just get butchered because there was no way for me to know what was coming. I had no idea what a siren was or that it can mind control, right? These were mm -hmm. brand new experiences and, and those are so satisfying. Um, but there really are only two kinds of missions, right? There's go to a place and make sure something isn't destroyed. And that thing is either civilians or piles of supplies or a computer terminal that you have to touch or a building or a power generator or whatever. And the second type, which is go to a place and kill everything you see. Um, 
and then occasionally, very rarely, the mission of survive for three turns and then run away will show yeah. up when you get ambushed. Um, that's really it. And that was a disappointing bit. I didn't feel like the tactics themselves were very rich, but the situations in which you were called on to implement them were not. Reading both your reviews, it seemed like... So so my take reading reviews was that maybe, Paul, you were a bit more enthusiastic than John was at, at, at end of day. You maybe got a little bit more into this. But it seems like a lot of the issues you identified uh, overlapped. Uh, the game doesn't always evoke its theme as successfully as, as it might. Uh, I'm not... The music, for instance, fails it at every turn. Um, but... I also just have the sense, reading those reviews and then talking with you here, like, Paul, at the end of your review, you put it very nicely. You you sort of said uh, that this game comfortably stands among its peers in the genre. Um, but at the same time, I think one of the reasons people were so excited for this game is that not only was Julian Gollop going to be the one making it, but there there would be a certain... Julian Gollopness to it, right? That like we've seen the sort of polished to a mirror shine Firaxis version of XCOM of these types of tactics game. But if Gollop comes back to the genre, surely it will distinguish itself in these in these certain ways. And throughout this conversation, I feel like the story of Phoenix Point that I'm hearing is that it makes moves in the direction of distinguishing itself in those ways, but doesn't complete them. They're all they're all gestures, but they're not fully realized expressions of whatever it is we really hope to get out of this game. It sounds kind of not necessarily that disappointing, but it does sound frustrating. It it feels really familiar to me, and that that it's Exactly what I want to a degree. It's like uh, at the end of the day when I am exhausted in my kitchen and I want to make a standard kind of pasta dish, I will boil my pasta and I'll have my tomato sauce and I'll have my meat and my vegetable that I put in. And I'm never going to be disappointed with that because that's a standard thing that I like to eat and it's quick and easy and it's familiar. And Phoenix Point sort of is the video game version of that for me. It's got all of these elements that I recognize really well and that I've been, you know, playing with in one way or another for about 25 years. And I think this is one of the reasons we've got so much nostalgia for the very first games in the series is they executed that really well. And they executed it in a way that has kind of stood the test of time. If you go back and play the first two, there's loads of ways that they're clunky now, but there's loads of ways mechanically and sort of conceptually that they still execute quite comfortably. And, you know, if you had an iPad and you were going to play one of them as a game while you were commuting or on a plane or something, it would still be really entertaining. It would still work very well. And so I, I feel it does stand sort of amongst its peers. It does all these very familiar things. It doesn't really bring anything new to the table. I'm not sure what exactly what gestures maybe it is giving to other things because I, I came into this with no expectation, uh, which is usually a, for me, a really comfy way to approach a game anyway. But like, I thought it would feel very familiar, and it did feel very familiar. And beyond that, it did exactly what it promised on the tin or on the box or whatever. I got my standard elements of tactical and strategic, and I got uh, some cool destructible environments, and I got to watch my soldiers level up and get better and name them after people I know and then feel sad when they got killed. And... I don't know. That's that's it. I I do I do wish there was something more and something different. But I also am aware that if you step too far away from that, you risk breaking everything and you risk alienating people. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think that it was maybe for that exact reason. I think it was maybe too safe of a game. I think mm. that it should have felt more free to not ape what Firaxis had done. Uh, it should have been encouraged. 
maybe more the design by the successive Xenonauts and decided that it could comfortably just step away from other people's conventions uh, and other expectations and, and be its own game. But what we did get is just like you said, a pasta dish, right? It's, it's really comfort food to me. It's wholesome and warming and I get what it is. And I enjoyed playing it for exactly that reason. All my frustrations aside, um, actually not all of them because the, the atrocious AI undercuts the whole game for me, but whoa, hold on. We need to pump the brakes. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. Uh, Hey, uh, so when your guys are fighting, what kind of fight do the monsters put up? They, I feel like they definitely walk towards you and shooting you. They do that. Yeah. I'd heard rumors or like people had talked about the, the AI being more adaptive. Um, and definitely, like I had a bit of a tendency of bunching my guys together in cover, which caused the AI to throw more uh, area of effect weapons at me, like grenades and stuff. And then I stopped doing that. And that was, you know, a, a poor tactic. But that was about the limit of... I, I didn't feel like I was being flanked or like I was being pincered or like the enemy were waiting for me to uncover them and then were, you know, ambushing me. I felt like I was playing a pretty by-the-numbers thing of shooting at stuff that came at me that was kind of a, a shooting gallery. In many ways, I, I totally agree, yeah. There's a few enemies that felt like exceptions to that in the ways they behaved. Um, sometimes the the tritons, the fish fishmen, would pull little clever tricks, but it was always clever tricks. They were hard-coded to pull using their abilities, not clever tricks based on the actual tactical situation they were in. Um, the way the game plays out, the AI is so poor at the basics of the rule set the game has built. Like It doesn't understand how to do basic things like Overwatch effectively, and that really hurts yeah. the game as a whole. Um, if the AI even simply understood how to overwatch or how to take cover and stay in it and outshoot yeah. you when it has the advantage rather than walk forward into your line of shotguns, it would do a lot better. Uh, but it just doesn't right now. Yeah, I think that that pretty much hits the nail on the head. And I, you know, I, it would be a very different tactical challenge. For me to just try and defeat half a dozen aliens who are holed up in a building, you know, in hardcover, in Overwatch mode with even half different weapons. Whereas I sort of end up in the opposite situation of I find some decent cover myself and then pick them off one by one. And it's uh, once you get the hang of sort of rationing your attributes and you realize like, oh, you know, I can spend a will point to make my sniper fire, but then also go into Overwatch. As you become a more efficient player, uh, it becomes very easy to mitigate pretty much anything that the aliens do, I feel. And the it, the biggest challenge, again, just becomes whittling down their hit points. It becomes getting better weapons so that you can deal with aliens who have these enormous... Like, I don't want to reveal exactly how big or cool some of the stuff becomes, because some of it is really big and cool. But, you know, there are guys out there who had to shoot like 20, 25 times before they fell over, and that felt like the biggest challenge ahead of me. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, playing on some of the, high, the higher difficulty, uh, the experience I had was eventually volume of enemies became... The real problem was that the game would yeah. throw so many enemies at once at you that by the literal just action economy of how much you can get done in a turn, it was difficult to survive. Does that end up pulling the fat out of the fire for this game a little bit? Because a tactics game with sort of brain dead AI isn't necessarily it isn't necessarily a deal breaker, right? Like when I think of the old no. myth games, um, like they sort of get around it with, well, you're fighting an army of shambling undead, right? It's just the sheer weight of numbers, uh, the delicacy of your units, the fact that they're different unit archetypes just pose frustrating problems uh, in that game. That game works around its pretty straightforward AI just by staging it carefully in situations where it will be shown to its best advantage and by making the fight feel, uh, you know, asymmetrical 
it's your army's better, uh, but it has to be way, way better to to win these fights. Is that like, you know, at the end, does Phoenix Point feel like a game where, shit, the AI is just broken? Or does it end up sort of saving itself because in some weird way it just it justifies itself with, well, you know, the 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 Pandar the, the Pandarans, I'm doing it again. Uh the Pandorans <laughs> You know, they're not the craftiest opponent, but they're some big fucking crab people it throws at you. And they take a lot of killing and you gotta be careful. Does that does that work thematically? Does that does that end up being satisfying? Or does it feel like this thing is just falling on its face every time you want it to be throwing up a good fight? I think you can go for the Starship Troopers kind of argument if you're fighting uh vaguely insectoid or fishy alien things, but when you get into a fight with another faction and they sometimes have some very cool equipment and they've got their own particular kind of sniper rifle, which is very cool. Um, or they've got their own particular kind of soldier class who can do a certain thing. And they're just, you know, they're putting their sniper into Overwatch by having them stand in the middle of the road. It's it's like you're playing your eight-year-old cousin and play by email or something. It's just like, okay, come on, we can do better than this. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, it's kind of rough for that reason but that is definitely true the the enemy design is good it's very inventive and interesting the the base enemy the arthrons the way they evolve through the game they get shields and they become sort of these walking bulwarks rather than traditional modern combatants who have to take cover and stuff that stuff is really cool i like the fishmen they do weird stuff. They slink around on you. They try to paralyze you. The A lot of people really hate the sirens. I like the sirens overall. I think it's cool that you can get rushed by a bunch of terrifying eight-foot-tall monsters. Uh, and then beyond that, there's some really cool design and some that completely falls flat to me. Um, but it's the interesting design in the core behavior of the units what they can actually do that makes the game fun to play against not the way they actually efficiently execute those abilities and yeah. use the core game mechanics um and definitely fighting against any enemy that had uh guns back they would just sort of stand in the open not take cover and all that was quite frustrating to me i mean honestly i do love setting up a good murder thrashing machine though for enemies like I could see oh, that. Yeah. That could that could work for me. And whenever I would fight the like Fallout Raider cosplay assholes is what I ended up calling <laughs> them who are around the world, just like guys who are like, fuck it, the world's going to shit, so I'm gonna be post apocalypse douche number one. Um, wearing like a football helmet with their arm cannon. Those mm -hmm. guys, I really appreciated that they just would run at you down a road waving their assault rifles in the air that was entertaining to me and fun um but when the like super clever high-tech infiltrator that the enemy supposedly has just like runs straight down the street at you that that's not so great yeah that is deeply disappointing uh and and concerning does i think you mentioned sometimes the, these levels are proc gen right it's throwing together some like randomized levels yes yeah uh some of most of them out of pre-made parts like you play enough of the post-apocalypse map that you really start to recognize bits that have been put together uh but some of the others seem unique every time i played them like the industrial sites and stuff like that that don't pop up as much did those work pretty well like did they, did they feel like decent combat arenas and that the they they suited the vast limitations of this this ai well i think so I, I generally enjoyed them i didn't feel like i ran into a lot of circumstances where the ai was just utterly hampered by the terrain yeah i do i'd agree with that i i, I often like the look and the feel of the levels and the weird fun of discovering a cool bit of a roof to take cover on or uh and a lot of just the style the actual aesthetics of some of these how the different faction bases look i actually really liked i found them some really attractive nice environments to run around and shoot at people in and then get that weird perverse joy from also blowing a chunk out of occasionally so i guess as we wind down here 
I mean, I, you know, people can read your reviews. Uh, again, both of you, I think, ended up giving a measured endorsement. Mm-hmm. But I'm speaking now to the heart, right? Like, <laughs> is this it? Like, is this, you know, is this going to feel like it's doing something fresh and exciting in this space. You know, I think we've we've played a lot of XCOMs and and, and XCOM imitators, the, you know, these last 10 years. Um, is this one people should make time to play uh, with, with all these caveats? Is this one that for all the ways it fails, for all the ways it's familiar, for all the ways maybe it doesn't go far enough, this is still one worth your time, worth checking out because it has some kind of distinctive character that nothing else is really providing. This, this ain't Sorry, it, Chum, how do, you, how do you feel? Sorry. <laughs> this ain't it. Okay. This ain't it, Chief. No, if that's your if that's your guideline is that I can unequivocally recommend it to everyone listening to this podcast, no. If you love XCOM games and you are hankering for more XCOM right now, yeah. This this is a game that will satisfy you. I think I think you'll enjoy it um, as long as you have the patience for the bugs and things like that. Given all the the caveats we've discussed, um, if you are someone who wants the next big and great thing in strategy games and the next big step forward for turn based tactic games, this this ain't it. Yeah, I think that that pretty that's a pretty accurate, pretty good way of talking about this. It is kind of more of the same it's got some cool new spins on some old ideas and it has a lot of the old ideas that we're very comfortable with executed in a slightly different way uh and it has a narrative that i really like and a narrative that introduces things and surprises me in a way that i find you know quite satisfying but uh that's it and i don't want to give the impression that i'm super underwhelmed when i say that because i had a good time but i did just have a good time. I didn't have a great time. I wasn't amazed. And I am still waiting for what, you know, what is that cool take going to be? How is someone really going to revolutionize things? Because that hasn't happened this time. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm sad that it's not here yet, but it's not. And uh, hopefully one day we will get that game uh, and this will tide you over if you're a real genre enthusiast until then. Paul, now I'm just going to ask you a completely selfish question. Uh, this one's oh. just for me. Um, I never actually did get around to the first Xenonauts. Wow. Yeah, I know. I know. Look, life gets busy. Things get sure. away from us. Things get missed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, shows are scheduled on the upcoming list for sometimes two years and then they don't get recorded um because we never quite find the time but paul you have played xenonauts uh you mentioned it earlier here let's say one has a holiday break coming up and one is looking for that like slightly more open-ended or or meaner or weirder XCOM experience that, that is a little more 90s flavored uh than than 2010s do i spend that time with phoenix point or do i spend it with xenonauts Oh, that's a really interesting uh, question. Hmm. Uh, I want to say spend it, though, with Phoenix Point, because in spite of the bugs, I prefer the polish and I prefer the idea. Um, and also, I mean, with I played Xenonauts like a few years back now, so my memory is a bit rusty, but I seem to remember it being a bit clunky and... Um, for all that we've said about Phoenix Point being same and repetitive at certain points, I feel like when it came to the tactical side, Xenonauts was actually more repetitive. The environments felt more repetitive, and I felt like a lot of the combats ended up going the same way. Uh, I feel like in the strategy layer, it was a little more interesting. Um, super interested in what John's take might be. I think that... Right now, I would tell you to play Phoenix Point because I think you'll have a better time just sitting down and playing Phoenix Point over the holiday, right? Um, you'll get more of the game done or beat it as opposed to Xenonauts, which Paul's recollection is totally correct, which is that Xenonauts is a great game and uh, the community edition, which the 
community of the game since Goldhawk moved on to working on Xenonauts 2. The community of that game has really put a lot of time into it and added a ton of interesting new maps and things, but much of the game is still a bit of a grind, uh, more of a grind than Phoenix Point is. And I think you'll see the things you'll see in Phoenix Point will inform you better as a critic and genre enthusiast than the very familiar things you'll see in Xenonauts. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, well, that will do it for this week. We'll be back next week with more strategy discussion. This episode was produced by Keith Carberry. Three Moves Ahead is hosted on the Idle Films Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. That is further information about our super secret Discord server where we occasionally talk about strategy games. Uh, anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Paul and for John, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight. <laughs>